around You get yourself real ground Keep on moving around Don't be the clown like I tell it to your brothers and sisters The battlefield for my love. I'm a working. I am on the battlefield. I'm a working for my love. Oh yes, I promise him that I I would sing for him till I die. Yes, I am on. Alone and I was idle. Wow, I was a sinner too. I heard a voice from heaven telling me that I've got some work to do. And then I put took my master's hand. And then I joined a Christian man. For my love I left my friends and kindred Bound for the promised land Grace of God upon me The Holy Bible in my Distant lands, I try, crying out, sinners, come back home to God. I am on the battlefield for my Lord. Yes, I am on the battlefield for my Lord. Mit Gitarren statt Knarren, yes, I am on.
Man like Malcolm X and Martin Luther Another ranking come for pep up your brain and a little culture My dream last night was about black people down in South Africa they suffering This ain't no fun, this ain't no laughter No, this ain't no joking And a time black man fi come together right and now and unite Do you hear that? I miss a stop for all the little bit of fussing and stop all the fight Watcha! Me ball, miss a the clerk, miss a the clerk, free South Africa, watcha? Pump of Rome, pump of Rome, free South Africa, who's it? Miss a the clerk, miss a the clerk, free South Africa, come again. Pump of Rome, pump of Rome, free South Africa, in South Africa, black people, them a majority, but it for me life said that them a minority, cause night and day, them struggle vigorously, and under pressure, them a dead for young, and right and now, them a impose state of emergency, and you listen to Mr. Not the talk in reality, that's why. Miss a the clerk, miss a the clerk, free South Africa, Pope of Rome, Pope of Rome, free South Africa. What we say? Miss the clerk, Miss the clerk, free South Africa. One more time, Pope of Rome, Pope of Rome, free South Africa. Going back to Africa because I'm black. Watch out, know? what we say? My dream last night was about black people down in South Africa. They suffering. This ain't no lie, this ain't no fun. Watch out, this ain't no joking. A time black people know if they come together right and now and unite. I miss a stop for all the little bit of fussing then and stop all the fights Watch out, because look what them do to Nelson Mandela Same thing them want to do to fit him lover Not him wife Winnie Mandela Have black people under pressure We have to pray now to the Father That the same thing can go on in a Jamaica And you listen to Mr. Nado and the roots and culture Me come from the microphone and express me anger from when I born till now when I see black people under tribulation Yeah, down in a Jamaica not to mention Think about it And a time when I and I for move up And step up and get things set up Wow! Think about it So my dream last night was about black people Down in South Africa suffering This ain't no fun, this ain't no laughter No, this ain't no joking and a time black man fi come together right and now and unite Wow! I miss a stop for all the little bit of fuss and all of this a fight Watcha! Because miss a the clerk, miss a the clerk, free South Africa Watcha! Pope of Rome, Pope of Rome, free South Africa One more time, miss a the clerk, miss a the clerk, free South Africa Watcha! Pope of Rome, Pope of Rome, free South Africa Because Africa is where I and I from Carry come down in the Caribbean Put with the work on the plantation Teach me about them rules and regulations You listen to me stand up the what the microphone stand I teach me come to teach right and now the nation Because my dream last night was about South Africa And black people down there suffering This ain't no fun, this ain't no laughter No, this ain't no joking A time black people come together right and now and unite Woo! I miss a stop for all the little bit of fussing and I stop all the fights. Yeah, we gonna know on no culture. Now I'm the wrong tell no no on no culture. Watch out, because a man without no knowledge and history of his culture is like a tree without root. <laughs> Thank you.
In the parlour, as Gregor could see through the door crack, the gaslight was lit. But while at this time of day his father would usually take up his newspaper, an afternoon daily, and read it in a raised voice to the mother and sometimes also to the sister, not a sound was to be heard. Well, perhaps this practice of reading aloud, which the sister had always told Gregor about and written him about, had recently been discarded altogether. Yet while the entire apartment was hushed, it was anything but deserted. My, what a quiet life the family used to lead, Gregor thought to himself, and as he peered into the darkness he felt a certain pride that he had managed to provide his parents and his sister with such a life in such a beautiful apartment. What if now all calm, all prosperity, all contentment should come to a horrifying end? Rather than lose himself in such ruminations, Gregor preferred to start moving, and so he crept up and down the room. Once, during the long evening, one side door and then the other was opened a tiny crack and quickly shut again. Somebody had apparently felt an urge to come in, but had then thought the better of it. Gregor halted right at the parlour door, determined to somehow bring in the hesitant visitor, or at least find out who it was. But the door was not reopened and Gregor waited in vain. That morning, when the doors had been locked, everybody had wanted to come in, but now that he had opened one door, and the rest had clearly been opened during the day, nobody came, and the keys were on the other side. It was not until late at night that the light in the parlour was put out. Gregor could easily tell that the parents and the sister had stayed up this long, for, as he could clearly discern, all three of them were tiptoeing off. Since nobody would be visiting Gregor until morning, he had lots of time to reflect undisturbed and to figure out how to restructure his life. But the free, high-ceilinged room where he was forced to lie flat on the floor terrified him without his being able to pinpoint the cause. After all, it was his room, and he had been living there for the last five years. Turning half involuntarily, and not without a faint sense of embarrassment, he scurried under the settee, where, even though his back was a bit squashed and he could not lift his head, he instantly felt very cosy, regretting only that his body was too broad to squeeze in all the way. There he remained for the rest of the night, either drowsing and repeatedly yanked awake by his hunger, or else fretting amid vague hopes, all of which, however, led to his concluding that for now he would have to lie low and by being patient and utterly considerate, helped the family endure the inconveniences that, as it happened, he was forced to cause them in his present state. By early morning, it was still almost night, Gregor had a chance to test the strength of the resolutions he had just made, for the sister, almost fully dressed, opened the vestibule door and suspensefully peered in. She did not find him right away, but when she noticed him under the settee—goodness, he had to be somewhere, he couldn't just have flown away—she was so startled that, unable to control herself, she slammed the door from the outside. But, apparently regretting her behaviour, she instantly reopened the door and tiptoed in as if visiting a very sick patient, or even a stranger. Gregor, having pushed his head forward to the very edge of the settee, was watching her. Would she notice that he had barely touched the milk, though by no means for lack of hunger, and would she bring in some other kind of food more to his taste? If she didn't do so on her own, he would rather starve to death than point it out to her, even while he felt a tremendous urge to scoot out from under the settee, throw himself at her feet, and beg her for some good food. But the sister, with some surprise, instantly noticed the full bowl, from which only a little milk had splattered all around. She promptly picked up the bowl, though not with her bare hands, but with a rag, and carried it away. Gregor was extremely curious as to what she would replace it with, and all sorts of conjectures ran through his mind. But he would never have hit on what the sister actually did in the goodness of her heart. Hoping to check his likes and dislikes, she brought him a whole array of food, all spread out on an old newspaper. 
There were old, half-rotten vegetables, some bones left over from supper and coated with a solidified white sauce, a few raisins and almonds, some cheese that Gregor had declared inedible two days ago, dry bread, bread and butter, and salted bread and butter. Furthermore, along with all those things, she brought some water in the bowl, which had probably been assigned to Gregor for good. And sensing that Gregor would not eat in front of her, she discreetly hurried away, even turning the key, just to show him that he could make himself as comfortable as he wished. Gregor's tiny legs whirred as he charged toward the food. His wounds, incidentally, must have healed up by now. He felt no handicap any more, which was astonishing. For, as he recalled, after he had nicked his finger with a knife over a month ago, the injury had still been hurting the day before yesterday. Am I less sensitive now? he wondered, greedily sucking at the cheese, which had promptly exerted a more emphatic attraction on him than any of the other food. His eyes watered with contentment as he gulped down the cheese, the vegetables, and the sauce in rapid succession. By contrast, he did not relish the fresh foods. He couldn't even stand their smells, and he actually dragged the things he wanted to eat a short distance away. He was already done long since, and was simply lazing in the same spot when the sister, to signal that he should withdraw, slowly turned the key. Startled, he jumped up, though he was almost dozing, and scuttered back under the settee. However, it took a lot of self-control to remain there, even during the few short moments that the sister spent in the room, for his body was slightly bloated from the ample food, and he could scarcely breathe in that cramped space. Amid short fits of suffocation, he stared with somewhat bulging eyes, while the unsuspecting sister, wielding a broom, swept up not only the leftovers, but also the untouched food, as if this too were now unusable. She then hastily dumped everything into a pail, shutting its wooden lid and carrying everything out. No sooner had she turned her back than he skulked out from under the settee and began stretching and puffing up. That was how Gregor received his food every day. Once in the morning, when the parents and the maid were still asleep, and the second time after the family lunch, for the parents would then take a brief nap while the sister would send the maid out on some errand. While the parents certainly did not want Gregor to starve, either, they may not have endured knowing more about his eating than from hearsay, or the sister may have wished to spare them some, perhaps only slight, grief, for they were really suffering enough as it was. Gregor could not find out what excuses they had come up with to get the doctor and the locksmith out of the apartment, for since he was not understood, no one, including the sister, assumed that he could understand them. And so, whenever she was in his room, he had to content himself with occasionally hearing her sighs and her appeals to the saints. It was only later, when she had gotten a bit accustomed to everything, Naturally, there could be no question of her ever becoming fully accustomed. Gregor sometimes caught a remark that was meant to be friendly or might be interpreted as such. He certainly enjoyed it today, she would say, when Gregor had polished off a good portion of the food. While in the opposite event, which was gradually becoming more and more frequent, she would say almost sadly, Now once again nothing's been touched. But while Gregor could learn no news directly, he would eavesdrop, picking up a few things from the adjacent rooms, and the instant he heard voices he would promptly scuttle over to the appropriate door, squeezing his entire body against it. During the early period in particular, no conversation took place that was not somehow about him, even if only in secret. For two whole days every single meal was filled with discussions about what they ought to do. But even between meals they kept harping on the same theme, for there were always at least two family members in the apartment, since plainly nobody wished to stay home alone, and they could by no means all go out at the same time. Furthermore, on the very first day the maid—it was not quite clear how much she knew about what had occurred— had implored the mother on bended knees to dismiss her immediately. Then, saying good-bye a quarter-hour later, she had tearfully thanked them for the dismissal, as if it were the most benevolent deed that they had ever done for her. And without being asked, she had sworn a dreadful oath that she would never breathe a single word to anyone. 
So now the sister, together with the mother, also had to do the cooking. But this was not much of a bother, for they ate next to nothing. Over and over Gregor heard them urging one another to eat, though in vain, receiving no other answer than, Thanks, I've had enough, or something similar. They may not have drunk anything either. The sister would often ask the father if he would like some beer, and she warmly offered to go and get it herself. When he failed to respond, she anticipated any misgivings on his part by saying she could also send the janitor's wife. But then the father would finally utter an emphatic, No, and the subject was no longer broached. In the course of the very first day, the father laid out their overall financial circumstances and prospects to both the mother and the sister. From time to time he rose from the table to fetch some document or notebook from his small strong box, which he had salvaged after the collapse of his business five years earlier. They heard him opening the complicated lock and then shutting it again after removing whatever he had been looking for. The father's explanations were to some extent the first pleasant news that Gregor got to hear since his imprisonment. He had been under the impression that the father had failed to rescue anything from his business. At least the father had told him nothing to the contrary, nor, admittedly, had Gregor ever asked him. Gregor's sole concern at that time had been to do whatever he could to make the family forget as quickly as possible the business catastrophe that had plunged them all into utter despair. And so he had thrown himself into his job with tremendous fervor, working his way up almost overnight from minor clerk to traveling salesman who, naturally, had an altogether different earning potential, and whose professional triumphs were instantly translated by way of commissions into cash, which could be placed on the table at home for the astonished and delighted family. Those had been lovely times, and they had never recurred, at least not with that same luster, even though Gregor was eventually earning so much money that he was able to cover, and indeed did cover, all the expenditures of the family. They had simply grown accustomed to this, both the family and Gregor. They accepted the money gratefully. He was glad to hand it over, but no great warmth came of it. Only the sister had remained close to Gregor, and since she, unlike Gregor, loved music and could play the violin poignantly, he was secretly planning to send her to the conservatory next year, regardless of the great expense that it was bound to entail, and that would certainly be made up for in some other way. During Gregor's brief stays in the city, the conservatory was often mentioned in his talks with the sister, but only as a lovely dream that could never possibly be realized nor did the parents care to hear these innocent references. But Gregor's ideas on the subject were very definite, and he intended to make the solemn announcement on Christmas Eve. Such were the thoughts, quite futile in his present condition, that ran through his mind as he clung upright to the door, eavesdropping. Sometimes he was so thoroughly exhausted that he could no longer listen. His head would then inadvertently bump against the door, but he promptly pulled it erect again, for even that slight tap had been heard in the next room, causing everyone to stop talking. "'What's he up to now?' the father would say after a while, obviously turning toward the door, and only then did the interrupted conversation gradually resume. Gregor now learned precisely enough, for the father would often repeat his explanations, partly because he himself had not dealt with these matters in a long time, and partly because the mother didn't always understand everything right off, that despite the disaster, some assets, albeit a very tiny sum, had survived from the old days, growing bit by bit because of the untouched interest. Furthermore, since the money that Gregor had brought home every month keeping only a little for himself, had never been fully spent, it had accumulated into a small principle. Gregor, behind his door, nodded eagerly, delighted at this unexpected thrift and prudence. 
Actually, he could have applied this surplus towards settling the father's debt to the director, thereby bringing the day when he could have been rid of that job a lot closer. But now, the way the father had arranged things was better, no doubt. Of course, this sum was by no means large enough for the family to live off the interest. It might suffice to keep them going for one, at most two years, and that was all. It was simply money that really should not be drawn on, and that ought to be put aside for emergencies, while the money to live on had to be earned. But the father, though still healthy, was an old man, who hadn't done a lick of work in five years, and in any case could not be expected to take on very much. During those five years, his first vacation in an arduous and yet unsuccessful life, he had grown very fat, becoming rather clumsy. And should perhaps the old mother go to work? She who suffered from asthma, who found it strenuous just walking through the apartment, and who spent every other day on the sofa gasping for air by the open window? Or should the sister go to work, she who was still a child at seventeen and should certainly keep enjoying her lifestyle, which consisted of dressing nicely, sleeping late, lending a hand with the housekeeping, going out to a few modest amusements, and above all, playing the violin. At first, whenever the conversation turned to this need to earn money, Gregor would always let go of the door and throw himself on the cool leather sofa nearby, for he felt quite hot with shame and grief. Often he would lie there all through the long night, not getting a wink of sleep, and merely scrabbling on the leather for hours on end. Or else, undaunted by the great effort, he would shove a chair over to the window, clamber up to the sill, and, propped on the chair, lean against the panes, obviously indulging in some vague memory of the freedom he had once found by gazing out the window. For actually, from day to day, even the things that were rather close were growing hazier and hazier, he could no longer even make out the hospital across the street, the all-too-frequent sight of which he used to curse. And if he had not known for sure that he lived on Charlotte Street, a quiet but entirely urban thoroughfare, he might have believed that he was staring at a wasteland in which grey sky and grey earth blurred together indistinguishably. Only twice had the observant sister needed to see the chair standing by the window. Now, whenever she tidied up the room, she would push the chair back to the window. Indeed, from then on she would even leave the inside casement ajar. If only Gregor could have spoken to her and thanked her for everything she had to do for him, he would have endured her kind actions more readily. But instead they caused him great suffering. Of course, she tried to surmount the overall embarrassment as much as possible, and, naturally, as time wore by, she succeeded more and more. However, Gregor, too, eventually gained a sharper sense of things. Her very entrance was already terrible for him. No sooner had she stepped in than, without even taking time to close the door, careful as she usually was to protect everyone else from seeing Gregor's room, she charged straight over to the window and, as if almost suffocating, yanked it open with hasty hands, lingering there briefly no matter how chilly the weather, and inhaling deeply. This din and dashing terrified Gregor twice a day. Throughout her visits he would cower under the settee, fully realizing that she would certainly have preferred to spare him this disturbance if only she had been able to keep the window shut while staying in the same room with him. Once, something like a month had passed since Gregor's metamorphosis, and there was truly no special reason why the sister should still be alarmed by his appearance, she turned up a bit earlier than usual, and caught Gregor staring out the window, motionless and terrifyingly erect. He would not have been surprised if she had refused to come in since his position prevented her from opening the window immediately. But not only did she not come in, she actually recoiled and closed the door. An outsider might have honestly thought that Gregor had meant to ambush her and bite her. Naturally, he hid under the settee at once, but then had to wait until noon for his sister to return, and she seemed far more upset than usual. 
it thus dawned on him that his looks were still unbearable to her, and were bound to remain unbearable, which meant that it must have taken a lot of self-control for her not to run away upon glimpsing even the tiny scrap of his body that protruded from under the settee. So one day, hoping to spare her even this sight—the job took him four hours—he got the sheet on his back and lugged it over to the settee, arranging it in such a way that it concealed him entirely, thereby preventing the sister from seeing him even when she stooped down. After all, if she considered the sheet unnecessary, she could have removed it, for it was plain that Gregor could not possibly enjoy cutting himself off so thoroughly. But she left the sheet just as it was, and once he even believed he caught a grateful glance when he cautiously lifted it a smidgen with his head to see how his sister was taking this innovation. During the first two weeks the parents could not get themselves to come into his room, and he often heard them expressing their great appreciation of the sister's efforts, whereas earlier they had often been cross with her for being, they felt, a somewhat useless girl. But now both the father and the mother would frequently wait outside Gregor's door while the sister tidied up inside, and upon re-emerging she promptly had to render a detailed account of what the room looked like, what Gregor had eaten, how he had behaved this time, and whether he was perhaps showing some slight improvement. The mother, incidentally, wanted to visit Gregor relatively soon. At first the father and the sister tried to reason with her, and Gregor paid very close attention to their arguments, approving of them wholeheartedly. Later, however, the mother had to be held back forcibly, and when she then cried out, Let me go to Gregor, he's my unhappy son, don't you understand, I have to go to him, Gregor felt it might be a good idea if she did come in after all, not every day, naturally, but perhaps once a week. She was much better at everything than the sister, who, for all her courage, was still a child, and might ultimately have taken on such a demanding task purely out of teenage capriciousness. Gregor's wish to see his mother came true shortly. During the day, if only out of consideration for his parents, he did not want to appear at the window. On the other hand, he couldn't creep very far around the few square meters of the floor. He found it hard to lie still even at night, and eating soon gave him no pleasure whatsoever. So, for amusement, he got into the habit of prowling criss-cross over the walls and ceiling. He particularly liked hanging from the ceiling. It was quite different from lying on the floor. He could breathe more freely, and a faint tingle quivered through his body. In his almost blissful wool-gathering up there, Gregor might, to his own surprise, let go and crash down on the floor. But since he naturally now controlled his body far more effectively than before, he was never harmed by that great plunge. The sister instantly noticed the new entertainment that Gregor had found for himself. After all, when creeping, he occasionally left traces of his sticky substance behind. And so, taking it into her head to enable Gregor to crawl over the widest possible area, she decided to remove the obstructive furniture, especially the wardrobe and the desk. However, there was no way she could manage this alone. She didn't dare ask her father for help, and the maid would most certainly not have pitched in, for while this girl, who was about sixteen, had been valiantly sticking it out since the cook's departure, she had asked for the special favor of keeping the kitchen door locked all the time, and opening it only when specifically called. As a result, the sister had no choice but to approach the mother one day during the father's absence. And indeed, with cries of joyful excitement, the mother came over, although falling silent at the door to Gregor's room. First, naturally, the sister checked inside to make sure everything was in order. Only then did she let the mother enter. Gregor had hurriedly pulled the sheet lower and in tighter folds, truly making it look as if it had been tossed casually over the settee. This time, Gregor also refrained from peeping out from under the sheet. He would go without seeing the mother for now, and was simply glad that she had come despite everything. "'Come on, he's out of sight,' said the sister, evidently leading the mother by the hand. 
Gregor now heard the two delicate women pushing the very heavy old wardrobe from its place, and the sister constantly insisting on doing the major's share of the work, ignoring the warnings from the mother who was afraid she would overexert herself. It took a very long time. After probably just a quarter hour of drudging, the mother said it would be better if they left the wardrobe here. For one thing, it was too heavy. They wouldn't be done before the father's arrival, and if the wardrobe stood in the middle of the room, it would block Gregor's movements in all directions. Secondly, it was not at all certain that they were doing Gregor a favor by removing the furniture. She said that the opposite seemed to be the case. The sight of the bare wall literally made her heart bleed. And why wouldn't Gregor respond in the same way, since he was long accustomed to the furniture and would therefore feel desolate in the empty room? And isn't that, the mother concluded very softly, in fact she persistently almost whispered as if, not knowing Gregor's precise whereabouts, she wanted to keep him from hearing the very sound of her voice, convinced as she was that he didn't understand the words. And if we remove the furniture, isn't that like showing him that we've given up all hope of his improvement, and that we're callously leaving him to his own devices? I believe it would be best if we try to keep the room just as it was, so that when Gregor comes back to us he will find that nothing's been changed, and it will be much easier for him to forget what happened. Upon hearing the mother's words, Gregor realized that in the course of these two months, the lack of having anyone to converse with, plus the monotonous life in the midst of the family, must have befuddled his mind. For there was no other way to account for how he could have seriously longed to have his room emptied out. Did he really want the warm room, so cosily appointed with heirlooms, transformed into a lair where he might of course be able to creep unimpeded in any direction, though forgetting his human past swiftly and totally? By now he was already on the verge of forgetting, and had been brought up sharply only by the mother's voice after not hearing it for a long time. Nothing should be removed. Everything had to remain. He couldn't do without the positive effects of the furniture on his state of mind. And if the furniture interfered with his senselessly crawling about, then it was a great asset and no loss. Unfortunately, the sister was of a different mind. In the discussions concerning Gregor, she had gotten into the habit, not without some justification, to be sure, of acting